The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. Now, as Nick alluded to uh, in his prayer, uh, our topic for tonight is on uh, money and possessions. We're in a sermon series called uh, The Way of Wisdom. I want to throw out a a few scenarios uh, to you. First, what if you were addicted to money? You felt like you never had enough to go around. You felt like you never had enough in your savings. You felt like you never had enough stuff. You were constantly super anxious. You knew money was fickle. It could be gone at any second. The stock market could crash tomorrow morning. And so you wanted more and more and more. Second scenario, what if you just don't care about money at all? You despise tightwad Ted, the guy in the first scenario who's just hoarding and taking for himself. You don't think about money. You just spend, you indulge. Life is about experiences and fun and money is a means to that end. You spend as soon as you get it. You may even like giving to people, but you always are are limited in what you can give because you generally spend it as as quickly as you can. And then third scenario, what if money had no hold on you? From my sermon a a number of months ago in in Titus 2, it was talked about self-control. What if you were able to be wise with money where you had self-control? You could take it or you could leave it. In an age of indulgence, the world despises people who can take or leave anything. Food, money. What if when you had money, you were most excited to give it away? We're going to take a look at the Proverbs to see what wisdom we can glean about money. Let's first go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are grateful for this night, grateful for this night to worship you, to praise you, to be able to sit underneath your word, to be able to sing songs, to be able to spend time like right now before the throne of grace, praying to you, our God. Lord, I'm grateful for the men and women that fill the seats in this room. I'm grateful for the the children that are being served right now, that are getting to to play and have fun and also learn about you. We thank you for the volunteers that you have uh, given to us. We thank you for the members of this church that invest time, energy, week after week, month after month, to see our children discipled, to see them presented, um, hopefully mature, In Christ. Lord, we beg that um, throughout this time over the next few minutes that our hearts would be open to your word, that we would be eager and willing to learn. Lord, I pray that um, however we come in here tonight, whether we're we're struggling, whether we um, feel like we're doing really well, whether we're physically facing hardship. Lord, I beg that we'd be able to taste 
and see that you are good, that your ways are far above our ways. Lord, I pray uh, even for those in our body, one I learned about right before the service that's been in the hospital the past couple of days, we pray for, for healing, uh, we pray for, for strength as, as hopefully he is uh, sent home uh, here in the next couple hours. Lord, we, um, we beg that we would be men and women who would honor you in our workplaces Lord, even when we face difficulty with bosses or coworkers, Lord, let us be men and women who are humble, who are gracious, who are kind, who embody the fruit of the Spirit, who are eager to shine light in difficult situations, and who are eager to make Jesus known. In our workplaces, at the grocery store, in the restaurants we frequent, in the coffee shops, in our neighborhoods, Lord, let us be men and women who are eager to be on mission for the sake of seeing the gospel go forward. We love you and we are grateful for this time. May it be um, encouraging and may it change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we as a body, we, we typically like to go through books of the Bible and we work our way straight through them. Um, for the next five or six weeks, we're going to continue in a series on Proverbs, and then we're going to jump back into Matthew. Proverbs, we felt like it was best to, to take it uh, somewhat thematically so that we could get ourselves organized around what the author uh, is trying to say. So our topic tonight, again, is, is money and, and possessions. Let's look at Proverbs uh, chapter 30, verses 7 through 9, and, and work our way through, again, what, what Tori read just a few moments ago. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Now this is, this is a wisdom teacher. His name's, uh, I think you would say it, Agur. We don't know a lot about him. He's the one who's, who's writing in Proverbs 30. The rest of um, the Proverbs before this has been um, mostly regarded as, as Solomon. But this wisdom teacher, he asked God for a two-item bucket list before he dies. If you were going to ask for two items before you died, what would it be? I'd be interested to know, to know some of those answers. But let's see what he asked for. The first, first part of verse 8. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So this is the first thing he asked for. He asked for falsehood and lying to be taken away. So we saw this last week. This is what Nick preached on. His passage encouraged us towards taming our tongue and putting away harmful speech. And then the second thing he asked for in verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Now hold up, that, that seems like a strange thing to pray for. Have you ever asked the Lord not to increase your bank account? Don't give me riches. Maybe you've prayed, uh, give me not poverty, but the reasons that this teacher explains here in the, the verse after may be different. It may feel strange. Why would he do this? Let's look at the, the end of verse 8 and then verse 9. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane 
the name of God. So the beginning of verse 9 is is summarizing why he asked to not be given riches. He's going to face a temptation. And the temptation is lack of dependence on the Lord. He's going to deny the Lord. He's going to say um, that he's full. He's going to say that he's gotten it all for himself. Now this will not necessarily happen with riches. Remember, Proverbs are principles, but it is more likely that the wealthier we are. The idea generally makes sense. Rich people, they're, they're stobby, they're stuck up, they're going to deny the Lord, they're going to assume they've gotten it all for themselves, and this is out of bounds, so don't, don't give that to me. The second part of verse 9 is the reasons for not giving us poverty. The temptation is actually the exact same. It's lack of dependence on the Lord. Feeling the need to go and take for yourself. Profaning the name of the Lord. Breaking his commandment and even stealing. Now, again, this will not necessarily happen with, with poverty. Uh, Proverbs fifteen seventeen and sixteen eight talk about eating only herbs and having very little. So having very little in your possession. Essentially, probably being more impoverished. But the beauty of that, if we have righteousness and we have love. But the idea generally makes sense. Poverty can lead to increased stealing because that person does not have maybe the necessities. But this still profanes God's name. So what does a wise man ask for? He desires neither of these temptations. He wants to be dependent upon the Lord. So he asks for God to remove them. He desires to be put in a life position where he has the best opportunity to be obedient and faithful. And so this does require some level of resourcing. So he says, give me not poverty, but it's not unending. Give me not riches. Now all of us here, I would assume, face one of these temptations more than the other or have a leaning more than the other. We're either afraid of riches or we're afraid of poverty. Maybe you're afraid of, of riches. You would say, let me be poor. I think about the parable of the talents that uh, Trevor preached on maybe a month ago or so from Matthew 25. Now, a talent is 15 to 20 years of wages. It's a lot of money. And the first servant was given five talents. So essentially a whole lifetime of wages. So if you were given five talents, a whole lifetime of wages, could you make five talents more like that first servant in the parable of the talents? The faithful servant doubles his riches He uses all that he has for the sake of the master, knowing the master is going to come back and take an account. If you're afraid of riches because you think poverty necessarily means being more spiritual, that may be an area where we're lacking in discipleship. Now, maybe you're afraid of poverty. You would uh, desire riches. But if I asked you, what if riches affected your discipleship? Would you be willing to give up riches? Now, the easy answer would probably be, give me riches, and then we'll see. We'll see if I am affected by it. If I'm affected by it in a really negative way, then once we see that, then maybe I'll give up the riches. But we see in Luke 24, 1 through 4, the poor widow who gives just two small coins while all of the rich people 
Uh, They put in large amounts of money, but they're giving out of their excess and out of their abundance. The poor widow is commended. What if giving sacrificially was best for you? What if you had to give your last two coins? If you're afraid of poverty out of a desire to have more than enough and to be safe, you also are lacking in discipleship. And this is true of me. Really, I face both of these temptations in some way or the other. But we've had two biblical characters. One had riches and the other poverty. But they steward them well for the sake of the kingdom. Or I even think about Joseph of Arimathea who ends up burying Jesus. It says he's rich, but he's a disciple of Christ. Riches are going to tempt us towards self-sufficiency and saying, I did it for me. Poverty is going to tempt us towards stealing bread and saying, God did this to me. But the truth is God is doing it all in his sovereignty for his glory. He's giving us different circumstances, different situations, different abilities for his glory. And we are to do everything and to respond with our lives for the sake of his glory. We see poor, we see rich, all are called to faithfulness. And that does look different in different situations. We don't know all of God's ways or all of God's plans. We think about Job, how he provided so much and then took all away. But we trust God and are willing to be used by him in all aspects of our lives. So I want to pull two truths out of uh, Proverbs 30 that I think we we can see. The first one is that money is good. The end of verse 8 in Proverbs 30 says, essentially, feed me with the food that I need. We need food, we need water, we need shelter of some kind. Money is good. It helps us see the gospel go forward. The Great Commission for the last 2,000 years has been fulfilled through the use of money, sending missionaries all around the world, providing resources, providing food. It allows us to support many great causes here in Greer and around the world. And then money also just helps us enjoy the good things of life, those good pleasures that God gives us. But the second thing we need to be aware of is that money is dangerous. So we mentioned, uh, the, the author mentions needs in verse 8, which is something essential. But maybe the, the other word we use a lot, we would talk about needs and wants. Our wants and our desires can drive us away from the Lord if we're not careful. We can even use the word need when really we, we mean the word want. Greed is, is very, very real. Proverbs 1.19 talks about it takes away life. We can easily only care about ourselves for the sake of gain. Now, over the next few minutes, we are going to dive into a number of different Proverbs to hopefully Help us flesh out what does all of Proverbs have to say about money. Proverbs 28, 25 should be on the screen. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. We can spend our whole lives thinking we need more and more, but money is not going to satisfy. The Lord is the one who we need. So I think in summary of thinking about Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, 
uh, it's interesting that if, if our tongue and our wallet, this was Bryce helped me, helped me think about this this past week, if our tongue and our wallet are in check, then we are well on the way to living a wise life. Remember, that's why we're going through the Proverbs. We're calling this the way of wisdom. We're trying to learn how to live wisely. Now, ultimately, we're going to fall short in every way, and Christ is our hope. But if our tongue and our wallet are in check, you have a leg up on living a wise life. Now, the key principle I want us to to take away from our passage tonight is that we are stewards of God's resources for the sake of his glory and for his... Uh, and his kingdom. We are stewards of God's resources for the sake of his glory and his kingdom. Now money, when we think about money, we're thinking about money uh, kind of the whole time in in this passage. One point to note is that money belongs to God and not you. Thus, we are stewards of the resources that God has put in our possession. God owns everything. That's made clear throughout the scriptures. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, Job 41, verse 11, Psalm 24, verse 1. It all tells us that the earth and all that is in it belongs to God. If we say, I don't care how I'm spending my money, I don't care how I'm spending money that's in my possession, that might be a problem because it belongs to God. The master will return and he will demand an account. We manage and steward those things which are in our possession. They do not direct us, we direct them for the sake of the kingdom. Now consider the kingdom-changing impact we can have if we steward our money well. We can love and bless our neighbors, the poor, missionaries, church planters, kingdom-advancing nonprofits. We can help support other churches. We've had many churches support us. We can support friends all in clear, tangible ways if we care about how we steward our money. But then as we think about ourselves, as we think about you, very similarly, you belong to God, you don't belong to money. Thus you live for his glory and for his kingdom. Now I read an interesting study uh, this week that said, um, it was back from 2010, that for people, uh, they they studied 80,000 people and got responses, that it was the rank of income, not actual income, that determined uh, their life satisfaction. So rank of income, not actual income, affected people's life satisfaction. But we want to we change that. We, we want our life to be satisfied not on income, not on how much more we make than our brother, our sister, our friends, our co-workers. We belong to God. Not money, not people. We are God's treasured possession. That was what Bryce read earlier in 1 Peter 2. Money does not have control over us. Ultimately, our stewarding of money uniquely represents and pictures our heart, our love, and our priorities. So we need to consider how we steward money and why we steward it this way. Now, I, wanna, I want us to offer kind of four solutions, four things to run after, knowing we're going to fail, but trying to honor Jesus in our life with our money. 
I read, I read a book um, over the last couple of weeks called uh, The Money Challenge by Art Rayner. He uh, works up at Southeastern Seminary, and um, some of the framework comes out of him and then um, comes out of this passage and a number of, of, of other ideas. But four things we want to run after. The first one, give generously. Give generously. So research has shown that Christians give a lower percentage today to the local church than they did in the Great Depression. I think this is problematic. Generosity is not less than giving to the church. It's, it's bigger than that. Giving to the church is vital. But we want to give to missionaries, to fellow churches, to church planners, to nonprofits, to the poor, to our neighbors, for the sake of hospitality, to brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when we think about, when we think about hospitality, one, one way to think about what generosity is not. Say you, uh, you're, you're going through your day, you're planning out your calendar, and you, you, think, about, you think about the Gilliams, and you really, want, you really want to invite the Gilliams over. They have uh, four kids, and you're like, man, it'd be so much fun. We'd have fun together. But you, you go to the grocery store, and you start calculating costs, and it's like, man, four kids, two adults. Um, maybe I'll just invite the Markhams over. That'll be, that'll be a little cheaper. It'll be a little easier. Won't be so many kids running around. Um, that is not what generosity is. So my, my wife and I, we have one kid. The Gilliams have four kids. What generosity would probably be is say, hey, let's invite the Gilliams and the Markhams over. Whatever it costs, we can make rice and beans. It doesn't matter. Let's, let's be together. Let's show hospitality. Let's enjoy that time. Do you have a generous heart? Or my, my temptation, I will confess, is to be more perfectly calculated, to know this is exactly how much money I have to spend at the grocery store or to spend out on hospitality. I hope that we can push towards generous hearts that are ready to give, that are ready to invite way before we crunch the numbers, but they're ready to have people in their homes. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let us be men and women who prioritize giving. Let's give our first and our best to the Lord, not our excess, not our leftovers. Be generous to the church. It's God's primary plan to advance his kingdom in our community and around the world. But as I've said already a few times, let's be generous to the Harrisons as we send them out to, to church plant in Canada. Let's be generous to missionaries, to church planters, to nonprofits, to neighbors, to other churches, to co-workers, and to the poor. Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Now I want to offer a challenge as we think about giving generously. My challenge is to give proportionally, sacrificially, cheerfully, deliberately, and consistently. And let us worship God as we do each of these things. Proportionally. There is there's much debate about um, should we give... 10% to the church. Do we need to do, do the tithe? I read plenty of things this past week. Some are arguing for it. Some are arguing against it. Malachi 3.10 is kind of a, a, 
passage that, that, that people use to, to support it. But whatever, wherever you fall, I do lean towards it being a helpful indicator of our heart. It's made clear that we are to give generously and a proportion of our income is helpful to think through. But giving a proportion, ticking that off the box, moving on is not what Jesus desires. Paul makes clear that God is honored by a cheerful giver. So my questions, two questions would be, if you don't give 10%, why? What is your heart motivation? Maybe you need to make it a goal over the next year, two years, five years to, to start giving something. Give 1%, 3%, 5%, 8 10 whatever it is. If you already give 10%, set a new and higher goal. We don't want to limit giving. And you guys have been absolutely extraordinary with your giving. I'm excited. We're going to have a members meeting right after this. I'm super excited to, to update us on, on where we are with giving to the building, giving to the church for ministry. It's been amazing to watch you guys. But giving to the church is important. There are also numerous other things. I would encourage even proportional giving uh, towards missionaries, towards hospitality. 4% towards missionaries, 2% towards hospitality in your neighbor, 3% to the poor. But don't be limited. However the Lord leads you, set money aside for giving and be willing to give even more if the Lord leads. The second one, give sacrificially. This would be where I would encourage you, don't allow poor financial decisions in the past to create more poor financial decisions going forward, like not giving. God delights in obedience even when it is hard and not convenient. Even when our bank account is low, God is glorified as we give our last two coins. Our giving affects eternity, both for others and for ourselves. And very likely our giving should hurt. We should feel it. It should be a pinch. Decide what feels comfortable. This is what Casey and I did recently. Um, Again, kind of at the encouragement of of Bryce. Decide what feels comfortable and then consider giving 15%, 30% more, 50% more. Double it to whatever you're giving to, to wherever the Lord leads you to give. It may feel unwise from the world's point of view, but the Lord may be calling you to that. Give cheerfully. We do not want to be ruled by money. We want to happily give and be content with what is left for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. That should be on the screen. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is good for our hearts. Giving produces cheerfulness in our hearts. I love, uh, Bryce told me a story this week, and I've heard a number of other stories of um, when, when missionaries and church planners, one, there's two families, the one family gives the other family $50, and then the other family gives the first family $50. And it's, it's the same in the end. No, no money's actually really being exchanged. It's the same amount. But it produces cheerfulness. It's, it's a joy to be able to give to others. We want to give deliberately and consistently. 
The Great Commission has been fulfilled through the generosity of believers for the last 2,000 years. Now, obviously, it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of a sovereign God in the hearts of men and women. But he has used financial resources. So let's continue that. Have you ever met an accidentally generous person? Maybe set a goal for yourself. A framework that Casey and I are, are kind of thinking through. And, and one way that we try to help measure ourselves is, is we want to give overseas. We want to give in North America. And we want to give in Greer. Because ultimately our neighbor is, is everywhere. But we want to try, to try to love and give as best we can. Give consistently. People do not realize how much they actually give and may think they give more or less. But it's an act of worship, so do it consistently. Now, we do have the, the option for, like, the church to give online, and you can set up a, a monthly withdrawal, which is, which is great um, if you want to do that. I don't prefer to do that. I like, as an act of worship, to, to drop a check or cash um, in, in the giving box. So I'd encourage you today, as we think about giving generously, start giving something and even go spend time with a generous purpose, person. So the second kind of solution, second point we want to take after is work purposefully. Work purposefully. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So with our work, we're not just after wealth. It's not, wealth is not to rule over us. We're not to work unending hours in order to acquire the largest amount of money and savings possible. We must be discerning in how much we should work and how we do our work. There is purpose. You belong to God, like we talked about. Work like it. Your work has meaning. Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, talks about us having dominion, that we're to work and keep the garden. That was Adam and Eve's instruction. They were to be fruitful. And then Genesis 3, the curse given to Adam is that work will be hard. But Colossians 3 tells us that we're to work diligently and work for the Lord, not for men. And we also want to work with the goal of being generous. If we are able to work and earn, we're able to be generous. We can't give what we don't have. Proverbs 12, 11. I did, I did struggle this week. I, I walked in and, and Jim said, wow, you have so many slides on the screen. I had so many slides. There's over 100 Proverbs uh, on, on money. So I came in and I deleted like 10 slides out, but I tried to, tried to give us some of the good Proverbs. But if you want to talk about any other Proverbs, there's a lot of Proverbs. I would love to do that this week or in coming weeks. Proverbs 12:11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. 1 Timothy 5.8. Try to go, I went a few other places than just the Proverbs. But if anyone does provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, if anyone does not provide, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we are to work purposefully. We are to provide. You don't belong to money. Have healthy work and money boundaries. At some point, working more to earn more has diminishing returns. And it can hurt your family, your ability to do ministry, your ability to be in community, to be involved at church, etc. So many other things. More money may equal less happiness, less ability to love your neighbors. 
As we think about work purposefully, we think about Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 6. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So both this man and this ant, there is, there is purpose to their work. Laziness is not working purposefully. But we also must recognize there are times of the harvest where work, more work may be required and there's times of scarcity where maybe times uh, there, there's less required. Third thing that we want to take away from, from Proverbs, save humbly. Save humbly. Now again, all of these are taken together. They're going to be taken in tension. And give generously is, would be where I would sit first and foremost. But we do see some about keeping um, and maybe, maybe having some to, to save. Proverbs 21.20 Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. A wise man knows there's going to be times of scarcity and times of bounty, and he's going to prepare well for it. Or we think about even in, in Genesis, um, Sharon actually reminded me of this earlier today, just thinking about Joseph, um, how he's removed from his family through sinful behavior, and yet he saved his people and Egypt through his saving of food for when it was needed most. Now, ultimately, God led him in that, and obviously that's, a, that's one unique situation in the history of Israel, but God used somebody saving for the sake of his kingdom. Now, why save? I think we see that it's prudent and wise. The ants prepare their food in the summer. They expect less food in the winter. There's a time of abundance and scarcity. The wise man keeps treasure and oil when a foolish man just consumes it all. We also want to save because it helps us give. We talked about generosity. You can't be generous with what you don't have. We are free to give with whatever we have, with whatever is in our possession, with what we've saved and, and prepared for. Proverbs uh, 27, 23, and 24. Know well the conditions of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. Now we need to know where we stand. Riches don't last forever. The Bible is an agrarian society, so their wealth is built around flocks and herds. But flocks and herds, they don't last forever. Riches don't last forever. But there is a calculation, there's a knowledge of, of what someone has. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Now, material provision for one's descendants, that, that may be a good thing. But remember, these are not promises, they are principles, and everything is ultimately the Lord's, and it's going to be used by him in the end for the sake of his glory. Now, now saving humbly cannot trump generosity and being uh, sacrificial in our giving. 
There's a tension with Matthew 6. Matthew 6 tells us don't lay up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. So we want to save humbly, not just for our sake, but for the sake of others. This is also very much about our heart posture. Is our heart humble? Our money, our possessions, our talent, our lives, they all belong to God. Job had ten children. He had lots of wealth, but then it was all taken from him. Verse 21 in Job 1, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then verse 22 tells that Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong. He had nothing left, and yet he still worshipped God. So even if we don't have anything savings, even if we're giving our last two coins away, let us worship the Lord because he's after our hearts. Fourth, and lastly, let us live wisely. Live wisely. Possessions are never going to satisfy. Only our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, will be the one who satisfies. Let our lives reflect that would encourage, I think, just a wise aspect of living here is to live within our means. Spend less than you make. Give and save first, then spend your money. You could ask, how much should I keep instead of how much should I give? How much does my family need? And let me give the rest away. I would encourage a, maybe a spending plan or a, or a budget. We manage well. So we can live open-handedly. I got a, a notification on my phone. I use an app called, called Mint for mine and Casey's budget. And I have 35 budget categories. I got a notification on my phone the other day that I was, I was good last month and 33 of my 35. So I've got to go figure out. I don't know what those other two were. I haven't looked it up yet. But I need to go figure out what those two were that I, that I overspent on. But I have categories like tithe and giving for missionaries, the building, the, the poor, Categories like presence and hospitality to be able to, to buy things for other people and to give them. But you're not limited by these. Let us be very generous as we live wisely. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Let's limit hasty, very quick decisions Luke 14 uh, is, a, is a passage that's talking about the cost of following Jesus and that they're to count the cost. And Jesus kind of talks about, you would do the same for building a tower. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Now the Proverbs talks a lot about debt. I would encourage us to be extremely wary of debt. And that's been the same for us even as we think about um, the building that we're going to move into and the financing we're going to get. We want to be very weary of it. The total owed in the U.S. for personal debt is $14.64 trillion. Uh, that's mortgages, equity lines, auto loans, credit cards, student loans, other household debt. The average household that has an auto loan owes $500 a month adding up to paying off a loan of $28,000 of debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. 
The borrower is the slave to the one who lends. He's bound to pay him back. Proverbs 17, 18. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Puts up a pledge, puts up security, puts something of his own on the line. One who is unwise does this for something they can't afford. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Now, I love, I love how practical this, this proverb is. If you don't have anything with which to pay, why should even your bed be taken out from under you? So spend less than you make. Be weary of debt. I watched this video earlier today um, I was just kind of YouTubing, financing, and how people talk about it. And, it. and it really discouraged me. The guy was talking about that it's archaic to avoid debt. It's archaic thinking to avoid debt. He said, debt is the way to make money. But I would just encourage you to be very cautious of it. We can have debt. That's totally fine. That's not, I'm not saying don't have it at all. But the Proverbs would encourage us to be very weary, to know what we're getting ourselves into. And it's probably not the best way to go about uh, making money as we uh, put ourselves in, in certain situations to be slave to a lender. Now even with all of this, being stewards, giving generously, working purposefully, saving humbly, living wisely. None of it is enough. We're going to all fail at this every single day. But there's grace. Proverbs 11, 4. We've got three more Proverbs. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. The day Jesus returns, riches are not going to profit. But righteousness delivers from death. On the day of our, our death here, riches are going to be gone. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. We don't need riches. We will fall if that is what we trust in. We need righteousness. But how do we get this righteousness? Where do we get righteousness from? Thankfully, we have one who is our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, who has died upon a cross to redeem us and to offer us his righteousness. The righteous will flourish like a green leaf. That's what Proverbs eleven twenty eight says. And we get this righteousness through Jesus. We're to be satisfied with Jesus and Jesus alone, walking according to his word, trusting in his provision. Isaiah 64 tell us, tells us all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They're gross rags. Even our most righteous acts are filled with sin. And because of that, God's anger is against us. Our sin leads to death and separation. But God's grace, God's kindness, God's love is there and is present. We have hope because of who God is and what he's done in Jesus. Proverbs 22, 2. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. Whether rich or poor, 
however you even define that, our hope is not in money. Our self-worth is not determined by money. The Lord is the maker of rich and poor. He is the maker of all. He holds all in the palm of his hand. And Jesus came so that he might save us from our sins. Once and for all time, giving us the abundant life. And so would we have contentment in Christ? Everything that we have belongs to God. No matter our situation, our money, our time, our talent, our families, our hearts, our souls. They're Jesus's. We're called to walk in faith and obedience, responding to his leading, following his direction, both in what feels like good times and what feels like hard times. We are Christ. He is our maker. He is more satisfying. He is worth everything. I pray that you would be able to find joy in Christ, no matter your financial situation, your work situation, your family situation, your life situation. Christ is here. He, he has offered grace. We can't prepare for everything. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. But today has got enough anxiousness for itself. So would we find our hope and our joy? Would we trust in Christ? Would we be submitted to his will? Would we love him? And I pray that you would know that he loves you. And that has been seen in the person and work of Christ. And we have the opportunity to turn tonight by the work of the Spirit in our hearts, by faith to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this night that you have given us. Grateful for the opportunity to study a topic like money and Proverbs. Lord, I know it can even feel like thinking about money is, is so separated from our relationship with you. And yet we're told clearly in Matthew 6 that we cannot serve God and money. Lord, would the hearts and the minds of the men and women in here, would my heart and my mind, would we serve you, would we know you, would we cherish you, would we find satisfaction in the person and work of Christ? Lord, we, we pray that you would give us neither poverty nor riches. Lest we would be full and deny you and say who is the Lord. Or lest we would be poor and steal and profane the name of God. And Lord, we beg that you would create opportunities for us with neighbors, co-workers, people we meet in Greer, in downtown, wherever we are. That you would give us opportunities to be generous. The Proverbs are filled with encouragement and the, and the need and the principle to, to be generous to the poor. Lord, would that be us? Lord, would we be willing to be inconvenienced in our work, with our money, with our paychecks, with our bank account, with our time, for the sake of making Jesus known here in Greer and to the ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you're working in us, changing our hearts, and I pray that you would help us live wisely. Lord, we ask all of this in Christ's holy name.
Amen.